Welcome back to Becoming Next on Scene, everybody. It is your host, Jackie Zook. It is another awesome day for another awesome episode of How to Become Next on Scene in your field of business or in your passion. Before I bring on my amazing guest today, I always like to start with a marketing tip to get your week started and a self-care tip to keep your week going. So my marketing tip of the day, um, I think it's so important. I've been just speaking to a lot of new people that I've been meeting and connecting with and consulting and I think a lot of people think they just need to do one part of their marketing. Like if you hire somebody for social media, they should only be doing your social media management and then you're not doing anything else. And that is the completely wrong way to think about your marketing. And listen, there's no harm doing to anybody that's doing this because you don't know any different. But if you don't have professional photos, if you aren't doing email marketing, if you aren't working with influencers or doing partnerships with other businesses, if you're not doing videos, like you need a complete marketing plan in order to execute and grow your marketing strategy and grow new clients and leads for yourself. I think what happens is a lot of people, you know, of course, budget comes into play with this, but a lot of people only go one direction because they think that that's the most important thing and only thing that they need. And for a really successful marketing campaign, you need all of it. It's just a really good long-term goal and it really allows you to grow and expand at a much faster pace rather than just doing one part of your marketing. So please take that into consideration. And if you ever have questions, you know, you could feel free to reach out to me at any point at nextonscene.com. But I really just want to talk about the benefits of that because I keep talking to more and more people that only want to do video or only think they need social media management. And like, it's it's not the end all and be all. It's not one piece. It's all of it. That is my marketing tip of the day. My self-care tip of the day is, I mean, it's been so hot on the East Coast. And so I think it's really like what to do during allergy season. Um, I never really had severe allergies. And I think, you know, the pollen keeps getting worse. So I think it's really important to do some sort of like light cleaning around the house, like daily, Um, even if it's just like cleaning your desk or like wiping down with the Swiffer to remove dust, like it's just going to make such a difference and you're going to feel better. And when your area is clean, your energy is clean and you attract really good things. So always take that into consideration. Now I'm really excited to share my amazing guest, Henry Weinreich, is back on the podcast. And today we are talking about the top six writing challenges and how to overcome them. Henry is full-blown author now. We are so excited to talk about his next steps and for him to educate you on how to become the best author you can be and also learning from his mistakes and sharing with you and educating you and even not only relating to in the writing aspect, but even as a business owner of how these topics can relate to you. He is amazing. If you don't follow him, you absolutely should. I can't wait for you to learn from him. So stay tuned for the amazing Henry Weinreich. The ups, the downs, and all the in-between. What it takes to become next on scene. Are you next? Follow us at Next On Scene. Where does creativity come from? Are talented people born that way? Can you have talent and not even know it? These are the questions explored in the podcast Type Tune Tint. Tom Kranz chats with writers, musicians, and artists 
most of whom found their talent by accident, late in life, or hiding under layers of denial. Subscribe to Type Tune 10 wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Becoming Next on Scene, everybody. I am so excited to be back here with the amazing Henry Weinreich. Today, we are talking about top six writing challenges and how to overcome them. Hi, Henry. How are you today? Welcome back to the podcast. Jackie, the energy is already like blasting through this podcast. I'm super excited to talk to you about the top tips on how to actually overcome writing challenges. Yeah, for sure. I want it first for new listeners. I want to share a little bit about your background too. So for almost three and a half, three and a quarter years, <laughs> Henry has gone on a journey of his lifetime, sitting down with his father face-to-face, discovering his stories to create an epic memoir manuscript entitled The Stories I Told My Son. Today, Henry joins us to discuss the behind the scenes experiences of some of his top writing challenges and how to overcome them successfully. Henry comes from one of Australia's top Ivy League law schools at the University of Sydney, lived in London for five years, involved in event management, and then created Sir Bob Geldorf's Live Aid and joined his family's bridal design business in New York City, creating Henry Roth and Michelle Roth with his sister. Their dresses are featured on Bravo Say Yes to the Dress, has resided in Melbourne, Australia as the founder of his own personal brand company, and is now back in his hometown of Sydney on his path to authorship. Henry, I'm so excited to have you. I don't know if I pronounced Melbourne right, because I'm a, <laughs> from Boston, but you know. <laughs> Jackie, I lived in New York City for 15 years, and I love the way Americans speak. And in actual fact, when I hear an American accent to me, it sounds like home. So you go, girl. So how do you actually say it, though? How do you say Melbourne? Melbourne. Melbourne. So with the Melbourne. So okay. Thank you. Thank you for. Thank it, you. There's no sense to <laughs> the way we speak, but we understand it. But sometimes, you know, uh, it's it's a form of English, isn't it? I love it. It's I love it. It's just so informative. Thank you for sharing that today. Okay, please, let's get please to don't. our first question. So our top writing tip first. So how to avoid online distractions when writing. So what is your feedback around that, Henry? You know, that's interesting because when I was preparing for this interview, I thought about that on a broad scale. So regardless, actually, of what you do professionally or personally, there are going to be projects in your life that are just standalone and require a certain level of discipline. So the beautiful thing about writing and what I can convey to all those listening and joining your gorgeous podcast is that actually how to avoid online distractions when writing is actually how do you avoid online distractions, period. Do you know what I'm saying, Jackie? I mean, that's your business to be online, but sometimes you have projects where you have to be offline. So I think the first and foremost, regardless of the project you're undertaking, you need to actually create what I call um, a writer's cave or my writer's bunker. So that can be for a long period of time. It can be for a short period of time, whatever your project is. Once you've come to terms with that fact, love it or not, you actually have to detoxify from social media. And I know yourself, that must be something that, you know, you know yourself when you're switched on all the time, there are times where you have to switch yourself off. Am I right? Yes, completely. And it's so hard. Like I live day in and day out as that, as my business, right? So like, yes, very difficult. Absolutely. So, you know, we're all addicted to social media. We're all addicted to our phones. So you have to come to terms with that. 
Once you actually come to terms with that, you take the plug literally and you plug it out. Mm -hmm. Literally. You have to get off all your social media platforms and that includes not following other people at the same time. So you can't cheat. It's you're not posting and they're not posting. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing I'd like to pose to you and, and all our audience is the fact that that can have some withdrawal effects. Okay. So what does that mean? There's going to be fear and anxiety. And I'm sure with your clients as well, when they're switched on to social media, they're constantly checking. The bottom line is, honestly, your supporters are always going to support you. And another adage is, which I remind myself is, abstinence makes the heart grow fonder. Fonder, yep. Right. But I'll tell you one key thing, one really important thing that I don't know, I just knew intuitively, do not under it any circumstances, make an announcement that you are going off air because I'm right. telling you. The I agree. That I hate cannot, when people do that. I hate when people do that. It's like, a, yeah. It's terrible because like how are people supposed to respond, right, to that? So you, are they supposed to text you saying, I know you're off air or they're not supposed to text you or, or message you and then, and then you can never actually put out the fire. I right. mean, have you seen that yourself when people post that up and what's your thoughts? I mean, I think it's an attention seeking thing. Like I, like, I feel like when people see that, they're like, I want to feel wanted and seen, like, please give me attention. It's absolutely accurate. Absolutely accurate. Good I, I'm really glad that you've confirmed that because, you know, I, you work intuitively when you're a writer, we, but we all have that. But as your expertise confirms, that's a big check mark. So, yes. Yeah, so, so that's the way you do it. You've got to actually create that cave. That cave has to be your own safe space. Actually, in my writer's bunker, believe it or not, I have five different spaces in my apartment that I actually created as my writing spaces. And then I just thought to myself, my dear friends are going to understand. Once I come back with the news, it's going to become bigger and better. So that hopefully answers the question about how to avoid online distractions, whether you're writing whether you're doing a PhD, whether you're about to do a marketing project, whoever you are, it's really important to know when to turn off and to turn on. So good. And like how long for a period of time, like for you, did you do that for? Well, I was very lucky because I self-financed my project because I knew I was going to do it with my father, stories I told my son. So in actual fact, I didn't work to a deadline, which is absolutely not recommended. But this has been a project of my life to sit down with my father and ask him all the questions I never was able to ask him. And so on and off, three and a half years, on For and sure. off. That's I mean, why that's... I really did, you know, because I have done a lot of media in my life. And so right. the opportunity of speaking to you is just like, I'm back in my element. I love it. I was saying earlier, I, this is so your element. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Well, so I, I... obviously now that we know how to shut off distractions. Yes. Like, how do you get out of writer's block, right? So what are the best ways to overcome writer's block? That's tip number two. <laughs> it, it's so interesting, Jackie, because when you actually do research, believe it or not, the um, Association of Psychologists of America have actually stated, and they believe this, that there's no such syndrome, if you like, as writer's block. There's a guy who's a psychologist, Stephen Pritzker, who actually said, it's actually a matter of discipline. Okay. Well, Stephen, you sit down and write for three and a half years, a memoir or any fictitious or science fiction or whatever book, 
I mean, do you ever have writer's block, creativity block? Oh, yeah. I like right. creativity block. That's a good, that's a good one. That's a good one and, to say. And that's what it is. I mean, because you're constantly switched on. And when the pressure's on, especially with what you do, marketing, helping people with their brands, sometimes it's like, okay, this is a no-brainer, but I, my brain's switched off. And so I'm sorry, Association of American Psychologists, I don't agree with that at all. Back right to disagree. So for me, anyway, the way I would describe it is there's this cloud that comes from the distance and it comes for you and then it enters your head. And that's the writer's block. And so basically you feel really fuzzy. You don't know why, but you just feel really, really fuzzy. The beautiful thing, Jackie, about writing is its experience. So in the beginning, I was just like, you know, this is what happens, panic. I'm never going to be writing again. All that stuff was just a miracle that came from somewhere. Um, guilt, you know, pressure on the, on the deadlines. And that's the syndrome. I mean, when you have that writing block, do you think that you're as well that, you know, like it's never going to happen again for you? Yeah. That kind of- yeah. It's the fuzz. The explanation of the fuzz could not be more accurate. Like you yeah. can't function. You're just like, I need to go like step outside and like have a breath of fresh air or something. You can't function. And the problem is you think you're never going to function again. That's the issue. Right. So the next thing I would advise anyone is you've really got to then key into what are you writing for? What are you projects for? What what is this all about? And so if you lose the guilt for a moment and if you lose the pressure, which is not easy, you've actually got to go to a higher ground because it's such a spiritual and soul-searching experience writing. And what I discovered is you've got to remind yourself what is the higher life purpose of this? What is this all about? For you, I would imagine you've got goals with running your business, you you know, you've got expectations. And so therefore that's part of also your life expect, you know, your life purpose is going for those goals, but mm-hmm. other things in your life that are even more important than that. Okay. So for me, it was like, look, I represent my family for all those that are not with us, for stories about World War II and this the hope that my father gave me with regard to humanity. So, like, come on. Let's get rid of writer's block. So I tell you, everybody's got a creativity sweet spot. For me, and I love it, before the sun rises, so it's like Dracula, right? Before the sun rises, I dream about all the things that I've just been blocked with, you know, with writer's block. And Jackie, I get up at 4.30, quarter five. This morning, I did the same thing. We've got an early morning interview with you and I'm switched on. And that's when that's my sweet spot. That's when you start writing. I've done all my writing by getting onto my phone, voice to text, God bless Google Docs. And then all of a sudden you're going, oh, thank goodness. That was, that was just writer's block. But you know, it comes back. It, it comes back. And every time you doubt but yourself. But when you, you think about it and you obsess over it, then it doesn't, right? It's like you have to kind of let it flow when it's ready to come back. I feel like. Correct. That's such a good point. And the thing is, know, know already, writer's block actually is a buildup. This you get feel guilty and then you feel that you're not, you know, all these self-doubt stuff. And that's actually fire. That stokes the fire. I mean, I'm sure for you, you have pressures on your projects, right? And sometimes you think, you know, is it going to be good enough? Am I going to be creative enough? So I think by speaking about this and broadening this topic to all professions, just hone in on your sweet spot of creativity. By the way, what is your sweet spot? Do you have one? 
Oh, so like time of day for me, I yes, would say morning time for of- me too. Morning. I not as early as like 435. I give you a lot of credit <laughs> for that. But for me, I would say by like seven, probably by seven, eight o'clock in the morning. And yeah. then it's going. So so it's not, I think the thing is coming out of the writer's block closet, so to speak, it, it helps, you know, knowing you had that, knowing everybody has it. So that's my advice. Know your speed spot, know it's going to come back from time to time and understand that actually that's the embers that stoke the fires for the next creativity burst. Love it. All right. Tip number three, take your water. And we'll go to the next one. <laughs> so what- Gotta have water. What are your top three tips for self-editing? My top three tips. Now, my God, that's a real, oh, you're really asking me to edit my edits. <laughs> Jackie, that came out from the left field. It did. Okay. So I think, um, and, and by the way, this is just for my experience. Also reading, you could go on to, you know, any tips that self-publishers do. You can do seminars. You can do workshops. You can go on to Twitter. You can, you can do, um, you know, hashtag a writer's lift, which I've discovered, which really is a group of huge community on Twitter that actually really helps with advice. I just looked on my, on my phone, uh, this woman based in Hawaii, who's a virtual assistant. And I'm going to be calling her up because I need some help with some editing of my LinkedIn. It's there. It is there. Let me tell you something. She, she rocks, but there'll probably be hundreds of them. But okay. So the three tips. I didn't edit this answer at all, did I? <laughs> Number one, and I didn't do this, structure. You've got to have structure. So first of all, you've got to have not necessarily the title of the literary work or the book, but you've got to have the structure of the overall arc of what the book story and is going to be. Number two, what you've got to do is you've got to then already divide it into chapters. It will change, but you have to divide it into chapters and then you have to uh, have the story arc within that. That's <laughs> point number one. Point number two, and I again, I didn't do this and I'm really sorry I didn't. Probably that's what took me a whole another year of writing. Point number two is you've got to actually move from above. So imagine you're looking at your work from, I don't know, top of the tree. You're sitting on top of the tree and you're reading it. And what you're doing is you're looking at the whole manuscript. And when you're looking at the whole manuscript, what you're doing is you're just making sure you're putting bullet points down. Is the story building, are the characters there? Are there any inaccuracies? That kind of thing. Then the third tip is zooming in, Mm -hmm. looking at grammar, looking at spelling. And then looking for too many words. I'm one of those people. Too many words. That was my killer. And you've got to make it concise and you've got to bring it down. And then two things that you really need with regard to that. And that is a proofreader and somebody that will actually help with your editing. But you can't do that until you do your own self-editing. And let me tell you, if you've got issues about the specialness of your work. And let me tell you, we all do. That is a really good reality check. Totally is. These are great tips. Great tips. By by the way, do you find with your clients, you're doing a lot of editing? Do you, you know, you've got a filter on your clients, right? So that's the most difficult, isn't it? So I have to tell you, so the way, part of my process is I come up with the idea for the content. I email it to them. So it sounds like them. And then they come back to me and sometimes it's perfect. And then sometimes of course, you know, they're grammar things for sure. So yes, it's like a little bit of a few step process similar to writing a book for sure. 
So then, then you're like the proofreader and the editor. So you, you, that's why people go to you because you help them with the process. Um, and interestingly enough, and another thing I read just recently from a Harvard report, and that is, and it's pretty common sense, the most difficult thing out of the whole writing process, out of marketing, out of doing any professional pursuit is the editing by mm-hmm. far. And time consuming. Isn't that the most time consuming? It's very painful. <laughs> it is, yeah. It's time-consuming, painful. You know, you, you you try and learn a bit of humility, and ultimately, actually, just to end this answer, um, ultimately, you've got to look at um, who you're writing for. You're writing so for yourself because, of course, you're going to love it. Who's not going to love your own work, right? But it's who you're writing for. What's your market? So good. So, but the truth is, is like you think you know until people start buying your book, right? And then that's what tells too. Well, actually, Jackie, it's got to be much before that, to be honest with you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the whole thing because the thing is, no one's going to publish. I mean, you can go the self-publishing route, but even self-publish, even self-publishing houses and people that are companies that help you with self-publishing, they help you with the edits. So that, true. That, good point. You've got to do it. It's got to be pitched for the market. So for me. I know my market is women, thirty plus, that are actually book club attendees. That is my market. I am writing to those women. I love it. You've got to be really laser sharp. No, thank you. For in the beginning, that. the in the beginning the exercise goes like that, and then it comes in like right, like that. And which I've is like, heard, which is you. But I've always heard the more niche marketed you become, the better your business grows, the better your ideas flow. Like it helps Ab- you. Absolutely. You've got to be super niched. And as what you do with your clients, got to be super niched. It's a work of that's why, I'm, that's why I'm saying that these points, universal. Mm-hmm. Super good. All right. Tip number four. So how do we stop? When and how do we stop feeling our writing is not good enough? <laughs> Look, I can still relate to this. <laughs> okay, so I actually prepared a few quotes because I thought, well, a couple of these quotes from famous authors are going to come in good stead. So how to stop feeling your writing is not good enough. I'm just going to read you something from Jane Austen. Now, Jane Austen, I live by quotes. Every morning I post up quotes now. I live by these quotes. So Jane Austen was actually an English novelist in the 17th and onto the 18th century. And I love the wisdom known primarily for her six major novels, which interpret and critique, comment upon British landed gentry. So she's like extraordinarily famous. And this kind of goes a little bit into answering that question, I think. Um, There is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside of you, right? So first and foremost, how do you stop feeling that it's not good enough? You've got to believe in your story. Number one, you've got to believe in your story. Another one is from Voltaire. Now, Voltaire came, I don't know, I'm going through this period thing. I feel I must have been alive in the 18th century because I'm, I'm relating, okay? And I think the bottom line with that is Voltaire was actually a French Enlightenment, during the French Enlightenment period, again, on the 18th century. And this is, again, specifically about how to stop feeling that your writing is not good enough. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm on my way. So good. So now I actually, put, I, I was reading this in Cora yesterday. I started following this guy called John Joss, a nonfiction writer and a journalist. And I, this summarizes exactly how you know if your writing is good enough. Okay. I'll try and paraphrase it. 
Good writing exhibits mastery of grammar, syntax, spelling, and vocabulary. Good writing also demonstrates brevity and clarity with rich lyrical composition that makes for enjoyable reading. Good writing fills my reading mind with powerful imagery and strong emotion and often provides new insights and information. Good writing creates purposeful and credible characters. Good writing pulls the reader ahead with eager anticipation. And not good writing is exactly the opposite. He goes on to say, if I'm not, if I give it five pages and if I'm not pulled in, it's not happening. So that's, yeah. That's how you know. That's Great how advice. you know with it. Yeah. I love the I love the credits you you shared too of the people. I thought it was super relatable, by the way. I love that. You know, writing has this kind of perception, Jackie, that it's really high it is, can be highbrow, but it's so real and it's so therapeutic and it's so soulful. So I think the, on this point, feeling not good enough, you've got to really challenge the way you believe. Mm-hmm. However, and what you believe for the story is your story. You read anything on Twitter or any of the writing community, what they say is, is it something completely different? By that is, it's got to be your unique POV. Mm-hmm. It's got to be your unique perspective. And if it's not, then it's never going to cut muster. It can be similar to other people, but it's always, you've got your own stories to tell. You don't need to tell anybody's other stories. Totally. The last thing on how you know whether you know your writing's good enough is I highly recommend getting a mentor so that they can, you know, somebody that's published a book, again, LinkedIn, or there's just so many sources that are available that people do that professionally because you need a bounce back. You need somebody to say to you, look, go back to the drawing board or that paragraph is great, but that paragraph, look at the difference between the paragraphs. So hopefully that explains a little bit. No, so good. I was also just going to follow up with that. And I feel like criticism is such a good growing part in like, being an author, right? Like, I'm sure like it only helps you become a better writer and like, not that you're going to like what everybody has to say about it, but I feel like it definitely helps improve for the audience, right? I mean, I would imagine that you're critical of your own work and that you're constantly, you've got to go back on it and back on it and you live and you learn. And and so it's, for me, it's constant writing. For you, I would imagine it would be like constantly doing different experiences, different projects, different implementations and activations. Isn't it better than we have a bit of experience under your belt though? My gosh. Yes. Good point. The beginning. And that's writing. Writing is painful in the beginning. It's always going to be painful because mm-hmm. it's always got to be pushing forward, but at least you know then what to look for. Yeah. Super good advice, Henry. Loving this. Okay. Tip number five. What are the best ways to overcome writing isolation? Isolation for mental health has got a very bad connotation. So we know that. So I want to put like a trigger warning on that and say that obviously you always have to have your referees checking with you. So when I said that you've got to have a completely hermetically sealed vault, if you like, when you're writing or the project that you're doing, the most important thing is you've got to have people checking in, obviously. And those are the people that can text. So it's not an interruption to what you're doing because, you know, they're checking up on your health and your mental, you know, because it actually can be dangerous mm-hmm. if you're isolated you know, we're isolated enough. So that's number one. However, and I don't want to put this in a strange way, but actually writer's isolation, which means really, to me, that means focusing on your project is actually something that you need in order to write. If you've got, we talked about distractions, if you've got things that are happening around you, 
honestly, you can't write. Mm -hmm. So how you get over that step is you do get lonely. In the beginning, you honestly do get lonely. But then what happens is all of a sudden, the storyline comes to life. The characters come to life. They're with you day and night. And you know when you read like a really good book and you just can't wait to get on? If you're in the zone, it's like you're watching the movie of the book you're writing at the same time. And you just, you don't want that movie to stop. Actually, you have a little bit of a separation anxiety when you finish writing. It's like, oh, you know, the last chapter that I wrote, you know, and I'm not going to give the storyline away because, of course, it's phenomenal. I bawled my eyes out. (laughs) It's like one minute I'm writing this. So that's what happens. Being Mm -hmm. careful of being isolated, but understanding being lonely gets replaced with the zone of writing, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Absolutely. I love that you brought up the tide of the emotions, because if you're feeling the emotions, the people reading what you're putting out there are feeling what you're feeling. And I think that's so important in writing, you know? Just on that topic, because I know how passionate you are and how much emotion, I suppose, every marketing person, every podcast host, every, you know, person has their own perspective. But how much do you take on board your clients and their emotions? It's hard. Do you? It's hard. I mean, yeah, I think it's some capacity. You absolutely do, you know, because you build, you're seeing them regularly. You're like becoming them, right? Because in your creative juices, you become your book. You're becoming like them because how are they portraying themselves? You know, like that's part of me for sure. So that's part of the zone. So, so that's good. how. So that's why I say writing and the, and the toolkit of writing is the same toolkit for every profession. I love it. I love how you're relating it to like any any fields. Like it's so relatable. Super good. I think it's important. I think sometimes writers, no criticism, but sometimes I read things and it, it can often be because it's such an intense world. Mm-hmm. But I think after a while you start reading that writers know that it's it's ubiquitous. It, it's universal. It goes across all all careers and all, all disciplines. Mm -hmm. So good. All right. Last question. What are the best ways to get past writing fatigue? Absolutely. What I'm about to advise you is absolutely what I didn't do. (laughs) Didn't do it. And I, and again, I think that put a lag and a drag on my progress. Hands up. I know people say, and you know, the theory is, and the theory is true, water, no sugar, exercise, low carb. And you know what? You get so stressed out and everyone has their comfort. Some people, I have to say, smoke cigarettes. Some people, what did they do? Me, I eat. And I did a really good job of that. I did a really, really good job of it. And so the thing is that when you're not looking after your body, and I know it's obvious, but perhaps it's just a reminder because I can honestly say from my experience, there was the year there where I wasn't looking after myself as well as I should have. That really helps writer's block. That is like, you know, sugar is the fuel for writer's block. So I'm not saying, I'm not talking about, you know, born again nutritionalist here, but towards the very last three or four months of my writing, I realized this is just not good enough. So what I did was, but I didn't want to break the seal so early, early in the morning, I would go to the gym and no music in my head. I put headphones on so no one would talk to me. Now I talk to everybody, of course. They said, what? Who's this guy? Like, we don't even know. All of a sudden, you're like the biggest talker in the whole gym. I said, ah, 
that was writer Henry. Mm-hmm. Neat. And people say, he said, who are you? I said, I'm author Henry now. I love I'm it. author Henry. But I think the thing is, honestly, you can have writer's fatigue and that means that's natural and normal. You have that level. But if you're putting things into your system and you're not giving yourself movement, then what's going to happen to you? You're going to be tired. Your mm-hmm. mind's going to be tired and your body's going to be tired. The other thing I reminded myself, you know, is, you know how when people say they're tired, okay? We all say that, again, right across the board, every career. But there is a difference between mental fatigue and physical fatigue. Mm-hmm. And your mind's saying, you know what? I'll just sit on the sofa. I'll just be a potato. I'll just read over my edits all the time. It, 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 it's actually not true because your mind might be tired even more reason why you should start moving around. So that's true confessions. And I feel so much better now. I, you know, now author Henry is truly a gym goer. Um, I have this amazing trainer, you know, every, let's have a training podcast one day about trainers. It's such a culture, such a culture. culture. So, So, I mean, do you not get, what happens when you have fatigue? What happens when you have professional fatigue? What do you do? I mean, I sleep more, right? Like, I feel like I, I'm, I just can't function. Like, I get really bad tension headaches. That's a thing for me. Like, I get headaches when I'm out. Like, when I'm working too hard, that's a thing for me. But Jackie, every good uh, person, be, every person that's being interviewed by a host has to understand that they're going to research the person who's the host, right? Everyone. So I came across one of your extra, I couldn't believe it, talking about fatigue here for a moment, uh, one of your extraordinary Instagram posts, or was a reel, Jackie, you were doing push-ups and I think you were like eight <laughs> months pregnant. It was no, I was nine months. Thank you for that reminder. Thank you. I was like, no, like weeks out from my due date. Yes. So Thank that you for that reminder. Thank you for that. I yeah. forget about that. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. That's right. So, so I have to say, and you're a mum of what? How old is your young son now? Eight months. Okay. So I think that says it all. I think that you're active enough, Jackie. I don't think you, you know, <laughs> do you still manage to work out at all? So I walk every morning for like 30 minutes. I would say, like, once you have a kid, you got to figure out a routine, and that takes a little while for the first time with your first child. So I'm still figuring it out. I'm just being honest, but that's no, that, walking that's, for but, me. You know, the, walking for me has been very therapeutic. So, so there you are. So you still um, focus on that. I think ultimately, you know, we go through phases. I don't know. Not all of us. Some of us. It depends on our habits. It depends on how much we reinforce. But the bottom line is, you cannot hide away from being physically fit, putting the right stuff into your okay. body, lots of lots of water. So the best way to get out of fatigue, to summarize, is if you are feeling tired, isolated. Is it mental or is it physical? Yeah. If it's mental, do physical. If it's physical, then have a hot bath. <laughs> I love <laughs> That's great advice though. Wait, what are those like? Don't they have those like ice things you can go into? Isn't an ice bath good for? Yeah. You see, there's all of that sort of stuff. You know, there is all of that stuff. There's ice bath. Oh my God. My friend, Wendy Diamond, who's actually created this extraordinary movement called We Do. And it's registered on, it's a national day across the world. It's recognized in 160 countries. And she's launched it at the United Nations. This woman is like, Three quarters of New York is, is, is basically wrapped up into Wendy Diamond. So I'm talking to her on the phone, you know, cause I'm talking to her about the book, the project book. 
and she's typical New York, okay? They have to be doing 10 things at the same time. And she's in this thing, right? And it comes up to her neck. All I see is her head and her phone. And there's this thing, right, all around her, this waterproof, if you can imagine a bubble. I'm saying, Wendy, what are you doing? Like, honey, you should see this. You got to get one. It's on Amazon. It doesn't, it's not expensive. Okay. Well, what actually is, is it? It's my in at home mobile sauna. So what it is talking about, she said, you know what? I, my, you know, my body was tired. I've just come from the gym. I switch it on. So she's got this mister thing, right? And then she's got this covering thing and the head's out. And then all of a sudden I start seeing steam coming out of it. This, but the moral of the story is, Jackie, there's so much you can do. It's there's so, so much true. if you want to do. Right. So that's my fatigue story. You've got your fatigue story. Everybody has it. But the takeaway is know the difference between mind and body. So good. So Henry, what is the goal like for the book? Like before we close out, like what are your goals like over the next six months to a year? Yeah, that that's the higher purpose. I started, this is a, a life project. Um, it's very near and dear to me. My parents and my father's a Holocaust survivor. And he has come out of it with hope. He loves people. And that's why I wanted to discover it. And in discovering that, those stories, which I never heard of before, we actually, the real stories discovering about each other, the things we never knew, and the search for resolution and redemption of our lives. So it's a really higher purpose. Always has, always will be, and it will succeed in, in my goal. And that is we're literally at the, at the pointy end, the captain has put on the fasten seatbelt sign. We're about to launch and uh, submit to a whole bunch of really high publishing houses in around the world. That will be taken up. And hopefully with that in mind, because you have to see it, you know, I can see the contract being signed. Hopefully I can have the opportunity once that contract is signed to come back and tell you what it took to actually get that manuscript signed. So that's, that's the goal. That's the goal. And Uh, and actually there's an, there's an additional goal. And that is it was written through the eye of a drone. And as you know, I've done a lot of film work, a lot of TV stuff. I have actually a, um, an advocate, uh, by the name of Paul Franklin. He runs Eureka Films, which is one of the largest production houses in Southeast Asia. Um, and it's been written for a movie as well. So You've got to have very, very high goals, and I believe they'll be achieved for sure. I love it. And how long, like year to date, has this taken you? Three years to get to so this far. Point? It's it's it, it, we're nudging on to three and three quarter years, so we're almost on the four year mark. So it's it that's the, that's the thing, Jackie. You have to have discipline, and you have to have commitment. And I just wanted to prove to myself as well. And to everybody I was representing and to all my friends and all those in the outer circle of my life that I have, it's called in Yiddish, which is the Jewish language, zitzfleisch. Zitz means to sit and fleisch means flesh. But basically what it means is never to have pins and needles, to always have the capacity to stay in that seat and do the job. And that's one of my, was one of my goals as well. So when you've got that contract, I believe it says to the world, my father and I had what it takes to achieve that huge goal. And so it. it's, there's a lot, you know, a lot there. It's the contract, it's the uh, movie, and it's the bond that my father had. I cannot tell you how extraordinarily special that is. And that's 
part of that goal is to speak to everybody about that yearning that we have, that we want to sit down and speak and ask questions of people that are really near and dear to us and never managed to. Mm-hmm. This memoir is the memoir that will ignite people's courage and conviction. Because when you ask questions that you never asked of people that you love, you're really close to you, you yourself and they themselves go on a whole nother journey. It's, it's, it's so really beautiful. True. What a great point. I love it. So how can people follow you on social media, Henry, and get in touch? Right. So I've just launched my new website, which is henryweinreich.org, which is a landing page and it's just like my business card. You can also go on to our Instagram account and DM me on the stories I told my son and my very active Twitter, Henry Weinreich underscore. And finally, my LinkedIn, Henry Weinreich. It's really easy. Just hashtag Henry Weinreich. You're going to find me. I love it. This has been a pleasure as always. Thank you for the inspiring information. You are the best. So everybody definitely follow Henry. And thanks for tuning in to Next On Scene and stay tuned for who's next on scene. The ups, the downs, and all the in-between. What it takes to become next on scene. Are you next? Follow us at Next On Scene.